Education is the key to success. Go to school, get a job, and live a good life. That is the African dream. And Jay, is it just me or someone light to the masses? People are on these streets carrying their entire alphabet of degrees, and yet they are living hand to mouth. No one is questioning what are we learning? Why are we learning it? What is education? And what is success? Let's not forget, there's also a growing number of people with special and varying needs who do not even have access to basic education. I have to ask, is education in Africa broken? My name is Tebo Hakangota III. Join me every week as I sit down with experts, educators, parents, and students to talk about the state of education on the African continent. It's a lot. Welcome to the Educated Africana. and welcome to the Educated Africana. Today we're going to be tackling a very important topic, especially to educators. This topic is around mental health and what we call teacher burnout. I have today Sakai joining us all the way from Bangladesh, uh, a Zimbabwean fellow uh, Africana, and Mwansa joining us from Kabwe, uh, Zambia and fellow Africana. Both are educators in their own right, and they're going to share a little bit about what they think, where their stance is, and yeah, enjoy. Okay, so ladies first, Mr. Kai, would you like to, how, how can I say this? Why education? I know you're in, in psychology counseling, but you do it in schools. So before we get into the actual topic, like I just want to know for you, why did you choose to do it in in like in the education forum? Hi, Tabaho, and thank you for having me. That's a, a great question that I haven't had to answer in a long time. I think growing up, I was my response would always be, you know, when people say, "What job are you gonna have?" and I would always say, "I want to help people," but I never really knew how I was gonna help people. By the time I was finishing high school, I, I decided to pursue psychology as, as a degree. You know, over the years, you, you have different experiences, you meet different people. And I found myself working in a school back in Zimbabwe and I've enjoyed it. And the rest they say is history. It's been more than 10 years of working in schools uh, and I'm enjoying it. I, I like to work and support children. My name is Sheto uh, Matsa. Uh, currently a lecturer at Mulungushi University uh, in international relations. Um, my journey, well, <laughs> I never thought like uh, back back in the day, if, if, if people asked, when people asked me, sorry, not if, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be actually a veterinarian. And to be honest, it's just because I like the way the word sounded. I didn't really know like what a veterinarian doctor does, but um i never really saw myself as an educator per se but uh I, I got my job on the basis of well how this will sound a bit self-indulgent but how well i performed so i was offered a job at the university and i took it but like you know growing up i always i love to talk i talk a lot as you know um and yeah, I feel like it's it's something that is suited to me, like because I like to research and read and um, just learn new things all the time. So I wasn't necessarily cut out for well, not cut out, but I didn't think I'll end up in academia. But I'm here, and yeah, I'm a lecturer on the basis of the fact that when one is the job, two, I think I'm very good at adapting. <laughs> so like it's something that kind of fits into my strengths. So there's no like big story about, yeah, I'll be a teacher. Funny thing though, my parents were both teachers. My dad is actually a lecturer still. So 
maybe well, it's maybe so it's maybe it's just yeah maybe it was it was sort of like I don't believe in determinism but maybe it was kind of like destined somewhat but yeah no real backstory really okay no yeah. interesting so jumping on to our topic today um what is mental health especially what we call teacher burnout for someone who doesn't know what we're talking about um Sakai, if you'd like to just weigh in, like, what is teacher burnout? For someone who's listening and they don't know and they've heard this before, but are teachers on fire? Like, what's happening? <laughs> uh, I hope not, or at least not literally, right? Um, so my understanding of teacher burnout would be, you know, educators, teachers that are just, they're tired, um, physically tired, mentally tired, emotionally tired, you're just exhausted by, by the job, by the work that you do. And um, I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but there are different factors that can contribute to that. But if I'm just to give a very brief definition of teacher burnout, it's just the exhaustion that our educators feel. Um, unfortunately, I think it's more often than not, um, at some point in their career or at multiple points in their career. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I'm a teacher and I think coming into education, into the education field, I, I really didn't understand what teacher burnout was until I experienced it myself. So Mansa, just to throw a question to you, we are Africana, educated Africana. We are speaking as African Africans in the on this platform. So how do you think, like you're in a university, we are in like small schools like um, primaries and high school. How do you think as Africans or in the African context, teacher burnout is addressed? Is it addressed? Like do teachers are teachers aware of it? Is the management aware of it? Like what's been put in place to address it if people are not aware? I'll try to answer this question like this, like the way I see it, or from my experience actually, um, because burnout is actually a mental issue. So from the African context, you are sort of like placing it within the framework of um, um, the cultural context, right? Um, so burnout is not necessarily the thing that is addressed as like, um, if you draw it from my experience, and this is, I love this thing because this is very recent to me. I, I wanted to go and leave on the basis of burnout. Like when I was filling out my form to apply for leave, because you have to state your reasons. And I just said, burnout. Like I am extremely tired, physically, mentally, emotionally. You know, and it was bordering on depression and also because my daughter had just been born, so I was moving between towns. So balancing work and balancing family life, it was such a, a huge uh, burden, like an albatross of some sort. So um, because in Africa, at least from the Zambian context, if, if I'm to bring it specifically to home, we still are not having the proper conversations around mental health. And because, you know, as a father figure, you're supposed to be like the hardworking guy. Um, you know, you're supposed to be there for your family, emotionally, mentally, more so financially, right? So nobody really addresses this issue of uh, burnout because a man is supposed to be working, right? And if you say, look, I wanna go and leave or I don't feel like going to work today, you know, it, it's, it's gonna be, uh, comprehended in a very different uh, manner to the extent that in some small way you might be thought of as lazy or you know um, neglecting your duties. Um, so if we're going to contextualize it specific to the premise of how do we understand burnout in the African context, I think the problem is largely cultural on the basis of how we're constructed um, as, as relates to, to work and being there for your family. Especially, you know, the, the count the, in the cultural context, African men, and, and I hope I don't sound chauvinist or you know sexist, 
but African men are constructed as providers. So even when, um, and, and you know, this, this, this delves back to uh, the framework of how I'm understanding this, which is in Africa, the discussion around mental health is still not very well grounded. It has no real premise in the sense that when certain things happen, especially when we discuss things like burnout, we're not necessarily looking at it through the avenue of mental health. So when a man says like, I'm tired, I'm tired of working, I don't feel like working, I need to take a break. It might not necessarily be comprehended as a mental health issue where this person is actually saying, I need to pump the brakes. Why? Because every day, as long as it's a working day, it's supposed to be seen walking out the door, getting the car, going to work, you know, uh, so that I can provide for my family. So in the African context, we, we sort of like are taking the conversation away from the mental health discussion to placing this in the, you know, the framework of how do we, how we constructed a man. So for me, it's also in some respect, it's, 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 um, it's, 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 it's a cultural thing on the basis of you know, gender constructions and the roles uh, thereof. This is not to negate that mental burnout has is not necessarily about men uh, working more than women, just to make that clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, we hear you. I mean, you yeah. are speaking from your stance, like you're a man yeah. in Africa. So, you know, mm. we, we get that, we get that. Now, yeah. like as you're speaking, you just brought something into just my mind. And I just thought, Sakai, you can weigh in here. Teacher burnout, like we say, it's, it's a mental, it's a mental health, thing like it's connected to mental health right um and realistically speaking not many people are ready to address mental issues in the african world or as africans and our traditions unfortunately have you know given us such thought processes or such views on life that you know you don't complain about mental health you know you deal with it you wake up you make it work you physically if everything is okay you still push so how have you i know you deal with this in your in your work um environment and just your your speciality how do you empower africans to be able to realize or to notice when this is now, like this is about your mental health, you need to do something, like you need to stop. Because I know I can keep going on, but as long as my, my body is well-functioning, I can continue. So how do you, as a professional, like psychologist, counselor, speak to people like me who are like, I'm okay, me, my body's fine, I'll wake up, I'll go to work, but then, come back home and cry or be sad the whole time? Um, yeah, a very important issue and one that I often speak on. As I was listening to Mwansa speak and he spoke about culture, I thought, you know, he's really hit the nail on the head. We almost can't even talk about teacher burnout, I think, in the African context, because what is that, right? Does it even exist? Do we even acknowledge that people can be so tired from their job, from their work, to the point of, you know, just wanting to stop. Um, so I think it's a, it's an extension of a conversation that's been happening, but needs to continue to happen, which is mental health is important. All of us do have mental health. We need to take care of our mental health. How do I help colleagues that might be experiencing burnout or on the verge of burnout? I think it's, 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 um, encouraging them to recognize the signs, right? Are they overly frustrated? Are they just, you know, coming to work because it's expected that I'll be at the school at 7.30? Um, are they no longer finding joy in, in, in the service that they're delivering to the students? And um, if, if you're answering yes, and you felt that way for a long time, you know, an extended period of time, then it can become concerning. So some ways that we can address, and I, I really like to 
be more proactive rather than reactive. So I'm often talking with, with teachers about just switch off. So for example, um, if you finish work at four o'clock, you finish work at four o'clock. Uh, I know some administrators may not be happy to hear that, but let's work within the working hours, right? If you are in a school that uses an email system, don't put your work email on the phone. Guys, keep your work email separate from, from home life. Um, take a break, speak to your friends, speak to your colleagues. Don't be afraid to ask for help. That's another big thing. And again, I think that's really stemmed in our culture where you've got to keep going, you've got to be strong. Um, and we have this, some of us have this perception that asking for help is a sign of weakness. But the message is, it's okay to ask for help, please. Um, you know, whether it's with a, a mental health professional or just talking with a friend, talking with a family member and saying, this is how I feel, recognizing when that workload is too much. Unfortunately though, I think in many schools, teachers probably feel like they don't have a choice. You know, you've got classes with 50 students in one class and there's one teacher and he or she's expected to deliver uh, valuable lessons, meaningful lessons every single day. In that class, you've got kids that have additional learning needs. Some might have dyslexia, some might have ADHD, some might be coming from a toxic home environment and they're not in the right place to learn. And the teacher is expected to take all this on. So, um, you know, yes, we're sharing tips and we're talking about what people could do, but I think a part of it will be a systematic change of recognizing that um, our teachers need help, our teachers need support, our teachers need reasonably sized classrooms and resources to support them as they do their work. Yeah, I, I just had a few, I'm like, my head is about to fall off as you're talking. I, okay, there's, there's a little, I don't know if I can if I can say I want to rewind a bit and bring it home a bit. So as a young black lady in private sector schools that I've been in, including where I am and where I've been in the past, it's not easy, especially young black lady. I don't know, maybe with other people as well, maybe young black and male, um, and Shetos, you you way in. Uh, to say, I'm, I'm, I can't because my mental health. I have found that it is easier to accept when it's a European white person who says, I, I, I can't, I need a day off. It's a personal day. There's nothing that's happening. I am just tired. And it's more accepted like to from such people than it is from a person who looks like me. Now, what do we do in such cases? Because I can tell you, when I was an intern, I was afraid of losing my job. Should I say, I can't come to work because mentally I am done, I'm finished. I am not doing anything special. I actually just wanna be home and just rest. So I don't know. Um, Mansa, have you how, how have you navigated that one? Because I feel like that's also part of it, you know? Yes, we have the tools, but how do we bring them into play being the people that we are, being Black? I'm just going to give like a, a dichotomized response on the basis of the fact that, because I mean, I know you personally, so I know you work at a multicultural institution and it's, it's, um, from a very general perspective, it's 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 a it's very true that the issues of mental health are actually racialized. So, if for example a white person says you know uh, uh, things that you said uh, in your example, it's understood because you know things like a uh, mental health these are white people things, you know, and that's like the general conversation around a lot of Africans. And this is what I was saying, like, you know, uh, given uh, the previous question that you asked, like in the African context, mental health is not part of the discussion on the basis of several issues that stem from largely uh, social constructivist issues. So 
to take it back to like my place of work, like it's it's more of a work, um, it's more of an environmental issue, right? So I've not seen anywhere in like the work policy where mental health is addressed. Of course, generally people are allowed to take leave, right? But because of the pressures of the job, you can apply for leave, but then it won't be granted to you because, oh, we need you. So even where you state that, look, I have burnout, you are told we need you. So we can't necessarily um, let you go. And I feel like the problem is actually that from a statutory point of view, from a legalistic um, perspective, if I'm allowed to go to leave, I'm not supposed to explain why I want to go to leave because there could be several reasons. I could have lost a parent, I could have, um, I could just be tired. I could be having problems at home with my wife. But the fact that I have the option to go and leave, I should not be asked to explain why I want to go and leave. But it's largely a function of what the work policy is. So, for example, for me, works at a university, we've got things like a workload policy, right? So sometimes because of, you know, um, other issues like staffing, for example, if the department is understaffed, uh, lecturers are required to take up courses even where they don't feel they have competence, right? So because there's a workload policy, the workload policy is not designed to take into consideration things like mental burnout, like fatigue, right? Because people don't understand that it's it's a very difficult job because teaching largely happens in the head. It's about the knowledge that you have, how you prepare for class, how you deliver. We are required to know so much because if people are going to learn from you, you sort of have to be a repository of knowledge, right? So nobody looks at that. It's just that the dictate is this. The workload policy is you're supposed to have, for example, three courses. You only have two and there's no one to teach this course. You work in this department, so we are going to give you this course, right? And then when you apply to go and leave, you're told you can't go and leave. We'll pay you to not go and leave, right? Now, of course, it's, it's, um, it's if, if they pay you for the days that you're supposed to work, that does not necessarily take care of the problem, but we'll take the money because it's kind of necessary, right? but it doesn't solve the problem of burnout. So I'll keep working, burnt out, but you paid me. And for a person in management, they feel they sorted out the problem, right? So I feel like we need to create a niche discussion, a niche narrative where this issue of mental health and burnout for employees is deliberately infused into work-related um, issues, especially the workload policy, right? So that educators are adequately taken care of on the basis of the fact that for you to be perfectly functional, especially in education, your psychological environment, your psychological configuration has to work in a manner that uh, enables you to deliver, especially for you who deals, for example, with children, because these are very special people, right? I could come with all the frustrations, that you know culminate into this um, uh, burnout and take it out on somebody's kid. And that is wrong. You know, you might end up getting fired without anybody looking at how did we get to the position that a teacher behaved like this towards a child. Right? So for me, I feel like it's 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 a policy issue, it's a management issue that we need to infuse deliberately the issue of burnout into uh, work policy. Now, I, I've had people, you know, say, oh, you like educators, teachers, you have such perfect jobs because you get to go on school holiday, right? And I see Sakai shaking her head like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I'm even about to throw it to you, Sakai. Like, what do we say to people who say, why do you need the holidays and still complain of 
like teacher burnout or things like that, mental health and whatever. Like I know, I've experienced it. I've seen what happens when we are crawling towards that last day of term and the kids are just behind us as well, you know, crawling towards that day. But what do we say to the person who doesn't know, to the general public who, who really don't understand, like even with the holiday, and, and maybe it's not even just the general public, maybe it's management management that like um once i was saying that are not sitting in the classrooms that are not sitting in the lecture you know lecture halls and interacting with the students like what do we say to them like for them to understand that even with these days like guys this thing still happens and it needs to be addressed you know you'd think with covid people have a better understanding you know, uh, of what it means to be a teacher I know lots of parents were looking forward to the day schools would open again and children could go back on, on school campuses because it was hard. Um, and so it's unfortunate that we still have people who sort of say, oh, you get a month off or you get uh, six weeks off. Uh, as you said, why are you complaining? Um, this is a difficult job. And um, once I was talking about how, you know, you need to be very knowledgeable, you're imparting this knowledge to other people, and it goes beyond knowledge. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that a teacher's got students that have got so many different needs in the classroom. Teachers have become counselors, teachers have become parents, they've become nurses, they've become providers of food. I, I um, have read many stories where a teacher will say, you know, I keep a bag of apples in my desk because there are children who will come to school and they haven't eaten. I've got toothpaste, I've got toothbrushes. So we're taking care of the most basic needs of these children. That's even before you start the one plus one is equal to. Um, so it really is a, a demanding job and I wish people would just understand and appreciate. Um, and in lots of places, again, I think the conversation is really focused around the African context, I can speak to Zimbabwe and I can speak to Zambia mostly. Um, many teachers are not getting paid a lot of money and they're expected to show up and they're expected to do this job and do it well. Um, the support system is not always there. Sometimes you have absent parents, but they know to show up. When the child has got uh, 40% and has failed the class, all of a sudden the parents are showing up and they've got things to say. So, um, you know, this is a profession that really needs to be appreciated more. Um, yes, money isn't everything, but it's one thing. If, if people are being compensated fairly, um, it helps them to do the job better. But also we go back to the systems, the policies, um, have those mental health days. Don't question when somebody is, is, is tired, right? Um, if I have a really bad headache and I say to my boss, I'm not coming to work. Okay, he signs off on it. There's not too many questions asked. Oh, if you're gone for three days, we need a doctor's note. But mental health related issues don't get the same kind of recognition. It's, it becomes, oh, she was just, um, maybe she wanted to go out of town with friends. Maybe she just wanted to stay home and watch Netflix. But it's, it's mental health and mental illness are real. And this is where we need to focus the narrative and let people realize that in whatever we're doing, this is a focus on education, but really it's for any industry. Prioritize the mental health and well-being of your employees so that they're able to do what they need to do, right? In education, it's, it's serve the students and, and teach. Um, and that they can be able to do it well. If they're not feeling well, they're not gonna deliver. Right, they can show up physically, but if I'm not in a good space, you know, that's when you have these classes, kids are just left to their own will and doing whatever they want. The teacher's in the room, but their mind is not present. So please, let's take care of our educators. Yeah, that's so true. And you know, something important there that you touched on is the power of relationships, like between the teacher and the student. And I remember uh, watching a TED talk by uh, Rita Pearson, who says, you know, kids don't learn from people they don't like. 
you know, because the relationships are important. But again, looking at the children themselves, like they get impacted so much, like they have their own like mental issues. Like right now we're faced with, you know, su suicidal children. And, you know, I don't know, I've never had to experience something like that, but I guess we can all weigh in. Like, you know, um, having a child commit suicide and teachers have to continue, you know, continue with the teaching, continue with the same class with kids who have buried their friends. And, you know, it, there's still so much, like you were saying, that teachers have to deal with. You know, if I were to compare to, um, I don't know, maybe an office job in your own cubicle and it's your pile of files that you have to deal with, but our pile of files is like people, human beings that you have to deal with each and every day. Mansa, what do you think about, you know, just the, the, the amount of impact it also has on like students? You have bigger students, like, you know, university students who are coming into themselves and, you know, they've chosen some of the career paths they're taking. Some of them they haven't. Some of them they just, you know, we hear so much, you know, mental health is a big deal there. Do you have situations where, you know, there's suicides and, or drug abuse or like the way that these things show up, especially also, or rather including the students as well in, into the conversation? Yeah, actually, that's actually very um, interesting because, um, I can tell you like for the five years that I've been in academia, right? Like when I started, um, I have to pick my words here carefully. Like I've seen like the, the trajectory has been downwards in terms of uh, student performance, student engagement, like the interest in the subject material. And I noticed that there's a correlation between this and the age of the students that we're getting, right? So. We are now admitting on, you know, on the basis of the model that applies at my place of work, where a child or a student, uh, you know, completes uh, secondary school by the age of 16, 17, and, you know, they're in university. Right now, uh, just a simple survey of the kind of students I've had over the five years, I have no uh, real issues with the distant students because they're more of, uh, you know, um, uh, the mature crop, for lack of a better way to put it. But for the younger ones, you're dealing with a whole lot of things that have to do with the social environment. You're dealing with a whole lot of things that have to do with um, the stage at which they are in their lives. So I've had situations of, you know, um, generally within the campus, things of uh, an STI breakout, um, drug abuse, a lot of uh, what is called lean, you know, there's this, this particular mixture of codeine and Sprite, I think. So it's called lean, lots of smoking, alcohol, um, abortions, sex-related violence, or, you know, just gender-based violence. So you have these students that are in this environment on the basis of, you know, the generic um, uh, social fabric within which we're living and, you know, the amount of exposure that students have to this. And then here's a lecturer like myself who um, is working or operating within the template of university education, which is largely that the expectation is that you're getting students who understand the assignment, right? Like university education is extremely uh, tasky. So uh, uh, um, it's, it's, it's kind of different for you who are educating children that you really have to shape. Like you're taking them at their formative stages, right? So I feel like, um, um, and this is not to um, um, uh, sort of like uh, give you too much credit, but it's true. You guys have to deal with children that you have to shape, that you have to you, have, you play a greater role in socializing. At the university level, you've got people who come that are already sufficiently socialized to the extent that they have a particular 
worldview. So, however, the teacher or the educator, to be more general, is always taken out of this equation because nobody looks at how is this affecting me? You know, there are times when I come home or I go to a colleague's office and I'm talking to my head of department, for example, and I'm like, you know, this work, this job has become so frustrating because it's like I'm not getting to these people, right? One, because it's an eclectic mix of people. Most of them don't even know what they're studying. Most of them don't even know why they're coming to class. Most of, so I've got like this semester, for example, I've got a really huge class because it's mixed between or amongst programs. So I look at my class lists and it goes to something like 50 plus students. But normally when I walk into class, you're looking at 20, 25, if the class is from 30. So where are these 20 people? Right, And people don't understand that when it comes to me now comparing continuous assessment, preparing exams and marking them, I have to deal with those students that actually don't care about coming to class, that don't care about showing up to the extent that when you produce your results, we have what are called boards of examiners. So uh, results cannot be published without them going through the board and the board actually scrutinizing the results. So when they realize that, oh, why have so many students failed? The blame is automatically ascribed to the lecturer. Nobody cares to ask the question, like why, what? And the answers are largely qualitative ones. It's about the attitude. It's about how many um, students actually feel that they're studying something that they want to learn about, right? most of the reasons that you give would be associated with you trying to um, extricate yourself from taking the blame, right? Now, what this does is it starts to contribute to your self-image. It starts to contribute to how you feel about how you're doing your work, right? To the extent that all this frustration now starts to um, sort of fester in your um, mental configuration. You start to feel like you're a bad lecturer. You start to feel like you're a bad teacher. You start to feel like, I don't know what I'm doing. Why? Because in the exterior, people will ascribe blame to the person that has been given the primary responsibility of teaching. No one, that like a lot of people don't really look at what goes into um, the issue of teaching. I'll give you an example. Like every day, and this is why this is such an important conversation. Burnout is a mental health issue. I have a situation where if I sleep, say, at around 20 hours, by one, I'll be up. And what do I have to do? I have to start studying because that's the only way I, you know, like feel the space that exists between one and the time that I actually feel like sleeping, which is usually around four or five in the morning. Why? I'm a lecturer. I am going to class tomorrow and I'm up and there's no sleep. So what do I do? I have to start, you know, um, augmenting my knowledge more. I need to prepare, but I also need to uh, study and learn more, research more in this short space of time. But this is a function of the fact that my sleep pattern has been affected by how stressed I am, by how fatigued I am. And this all leads back to my job where I first have to deal with the demands of the job, and then I have to deal with my students and their attitudes and everything. And all this has to be translated in or into um, the requirements of an educator, which is largely to deliver these particular lessons. The conversation should also include this notion of education as a business, right? So educators are looked at as individuals that are supposed to produce particular outcomes because they're not necessarily taking care of education needs, but this, 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 there's been a reconstruction of the student to treat the student like a client. So there's a particular expectation on the part of educators to make sure that they are attuned to the fact that students can't fail, students can't be corrected like this, students can't be treated like people who've come to get an education because 
they are paying money for this education, right? And universities are enrolling, not necessarily on the basis of quality, but in order for them to keep their operations running. So education has largely, is always largely turning into a business other than the most important aspect of education, which is the central function that it plays in creating societies that are prosperous. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Fire. I get you, man, sir. You know how many times I've been told I can pay your salary by a parent? I can't, I lost, I lost count. And I think it draws back to what you were saying about, you know, it, it, it's like people shy away from the fact that there's a business side to it. You know, there's this business side to it. For me, like in South Africa, what we were teaching was very close to what the government schools were teaching. But because we're at a particular school that pays X amount of money, you know, it was, it's that whole concept of, you know, you go to ShopRite, you buy this bottle of water for five kwacha, you go to the airport, you get it for like 40 kwacha, right? It's not different. It's the same producer. But then the fact that you're buying it at the airport and you're buying this one at the at, at shop, right? You get to pay different uh, prices. Also with the education that, I, like in South Africa, what I experienced, it wasn't very different to what I learned in, in my schooling as a child who went to school in a village and learned the CAPS. They call it CAPS, the, 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 the country's curriculum. But because we were at Santon, you know, even the customers were certain customers and their demands were certain demands. Do you find that, and maybe Saka, you can, you can just enlighten us on this one, that, oh, I've seen this, where some teachers will reserve their energy, they'll reserve their efforts. And usually I've seen it's teachers that have been in the field the longest, or yeah, who've been like 10 plus years, in the education field who will you know yes they'll learn the new stuff they'll learn the new curriculum they'll learn whatever but because they have experienced the burnout where they came in so hard like we did or i'm still doing now or monster like he's saying like he's still doing like he's still waking up or he's naturally not sleeping and you know the first thing you do is let me research that thing how can i do it what ideas can i come up with da 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 um teachers end up reserving their energy for teaching or for lecturing and therefore now producing mediocre, you know, work. Also with consideration of the workload, the requirements. Like if you look at just the standards of what a teacher is supposed to teach to each student and it's expected from the curriculum, like is it realistic is this why teachers are burning out is this why other teachers are reserving their energy and not putting in as much effort i think sometimes when you have too much to do you end up not doing anything because you just feel like what's the point right i mean there are so many different curriculums i have um, experience with and others that i'm not familiar with but I think a general message we hear from many teachers is, is, is there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of content to be delivered. There's a lot of things to be covered. And then on top of that, you've got the more administrative side. You must show up for staff meetings. You must do these additional duties after school, maybe running a, a, a sports club or something. Um, so again, it's that load that continues to be overwhelmed and overwhelmed and overwhelmed such that even when people have an opportunity to learn new things, learn new um, best practices for the classroom, they can no longer take that and apply it because they are just so exhausted. And, and we keep coming back to this. This is really an issue about mental health. And if you are tired, you are tired. I'm sure all of us at some point in our lives, you're reading a book, you know, you're a student in university, you're trying to study, You've been sitting there for one hour, but when somebody asks you, you don't know what you read. That's because you're tired, you're exhausted. Your mind is not 
is not present in what you're doing. It can no longer take up anything. It's so saturated with whatever else might be going on. So, you know, again, I just, I, 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 I don't know who's going to hear this, but I hope that people that are in, in, in positions of influence who can make a difference to the systems um, can listen to, to what we've been discussing and, and um, walk away with a message of prioritizing the mental health and well-being. Um, about 10 days ago was World Mental Health Day, and the theme for the year was making mental health and well-being a global priority for all. And for me, you know, as, as, as a counselor, as somebody that works to support, especially students, but also the, the teachers that, that teach them, I'm like, what can we do? In the African space, not everybody has got access to mental health services. So a part of the message is as an individual, what do I do for myself? How do I take care of myself? And um, in that regard, I would say to teachers, you know, be mindful of the space that you're in. Uh, when you feel tired, speak up and ask for that break. I know the system will not always allow for it, but speak up and be heard. If enough of us are speaking up and saying this is too much, maybe those administrators, um, the policymakers will, will sit up and they will listen to the other people on the other side that make, you know, make the schedules, give the, case, the workloads, um, just being mindful of not overburdening the teachers that you have. Um, if you want a good job to be done, you've got to keep things in balance. You cannot expect somebody to teach from seven until three o'clock and expect that all those classes will be delivered and be meaningful to the students. Yeah, no, just uh, as we close, it's been lovely talking to both of you, some insights. I hope anybody that will get to listen to this will take something, especially from your experiences, from my experiences, and just generally continue the conversation. I like how you highlighted the fact that, you know, let's make mental health normal. Like, let's make it a conversation that we can have without belittling each other or you know you being unrealistic and i don't know how um we can make that maybe it is in such conversations this is the first step it's, it's in having such conversations and hopefully more people will get to hear about them as we close i have something that i'd like for you to finish off in your own words and as a teacher and what you'd like your support to be when you feel burnt out, because I believe we can't, um, we can't avoid being burnt out. It will happen, uh, but what do we do and who do we need support from? And what do we say to them so that they know how to support us? So I wrote here, when I am burnt out, I need you to understand that you'll finish that. When I'm burnt out, I need you to understand that. Monsa. Yeah, so when I'm, when I'm burnt out, I need you to understand that I need to recollect. I need to reset to my default position. I need my mental health to be respected. I need to rest. And when I'm burnt out, I'd like to be around the people that I love to be able to, you know, um, reset. So when I'm burnt out, the most important thing is I need my, um, my needs to be respected, which is just to rest, basically. I like that. I like that. So, okay, when I'm burnt out, I need you to understand that. <laughs> what once I said, you know, as he's talking, it's like all these keywords, the rest, the resetting. Um, but I will say when I am burnt out, I need you to understand that I am a human being who has limits. I need you to understand that I need a safe space. I need a break. And I do not need judgment. Um, 
yeah, I need to just be accepted in that space that I am in that moment. Yeah. And I think you guys just hit the nail on the head, right? Like, what do I say now? But I concur. Like, I really, I need the space. When, when I'm burnt out, I need you to understand that I need the space to go and recollect. And that's that. And unfortunately, the school is not the space. I just need to draw back to my comforts, to my safe space, which is home usually, or some retreat, and just recollect, draw back, and I'll come back more energized. So just to, one last point, just to put it out there, I think it's important also for the learning community, you know, it's it's us teachers, it's students with, that we spoke about, but also the parents. I feel like, you know, many times parents, you know, make teachers or see teachers as these miracle workers with their children. And it just needs to come back to humanizing educators, um, advocating for ed educators' mental health. You know, we had platforms like PTAs, and things like that, especially in, in schools like we work for, you know, there's PTAs, there's situations like that. There's, now the social media, it's so, you know, it's so influential. Parents, you know, firstly, let's not expect the unexpectable. You know your little Johnny, you know him, you know. <laughs> I am human as you are. <laughs> so don't expect a miracle. And, and keep it human, you know, we're people, we have feelings and we go back to our own families and deal with our own stuff as well. So yeah, just bringing it back to being considerate of us. Um, if I were to say this to a parent, when I am burnt out, I need you to understand that I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter and those people need me as well. I think that's what I'd say to a parent. Guys, thank you so much. I am so happy. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit and chat with me on The Educated Africana with Tabahokangate signing out. Thank you. Be part of the solution. Talking is not enough. We need action. So I am challenging you today what are you going to do about what you just heard? Tell us all about it on social media. Tag at Africana Women or hashtag Educated Africana. The Educated Africana is part of the Africana Women podcast network. Subscribe, review and share this episode to help us keep the conversation going. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at Africana Woman or hashtag Educated Africana. Catch you next week.